Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. Episode 102, Revelation 12, verses 12 through 14. In our last podcast, we ended on the third woe, with the devil being unleashed on humanity. Let's pick it up there. The third woe, the devil unleashed on humanity. If you remember back in Revelation 8.13, John heard an eagle flying in midair call out with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. That would be the woes brought about by the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpets. With the first woe, we saw the beast, the angel of the abyss, enter the world and with him an army of locust-like demonic beings that will lie, seduce, and deceive people to follow the beast through prophetic revelations. They will torture many to ensure that they remain loyal and will not fall back toward the grace of God. With the second woe, we saw death, the slaying of one-third of mankind, and the hardening of the hearts of so many others who refuse to repent. With the third woe, we see the strongest of warnings about the devil and what will ensue when he is expelled from heaven and caused to be thrown down with his armies to the earth. Revelation 12, 12. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, now having great wrath, knowing that he now has only a short time. Woe to those who do not belong to Yahweh, for the devil is consumed by wrath, and he is now having great wrath. And since he knows that he has only a short time, he is vicious. We must also keep in mind that the dragon just lost a war that he never thought he could lose. Michael and his armies picked the fight, and the result was that the fierce, terrifying, mighty, and heretofore unassailable foe was found not to be strong enough to hold his position in the heavenly realms. And he and his armies were caused to be thrown down to earth with no chance of returning to their cosmic outpost. You can only imagine the extent of the devil's rage. Michael, who in a previous encounter had to call on Yahweh to command the devil because Michael was not strong enough to defeat him. Now, Michael won the victory. The shame of it all. How will the devil be able to continue his deceitful lies, promising he will upend the Lamb of God and take over his throne if he just lost to Michael, an angel that is beneath his own glory and power? Hence, it is understandable that the devil is now having great wrath knowing that he now has only a short time. It is interesting to note that having and has are both rendered in the present tense. Thus, we can understand this woe to not just be for the end times, but it is also a warning for us now. He already knows. What is fascinating is that the devil already knows that his time is short, as knowing is rendered in the perfect active participle. 
Sometime in the past, the devil became aware that he would not win this inevitable war, that he would lose his place in the heavenly realms, and that he ultimately would be the greatest loser of all time. This is the reason the dragon sweeps the fallen angels down from the heavens with his lies and false prophecies and bullies them like a dragon into submission. Remember, the tale speaks of the prophetic word and the image of the dragon speaks of power and terror. Wild animals can be fierce, but when they are in panic, when they are terrified, when they are trapped, when they sense doom, they come beyond vicious. They are overcome by a relentless, wild, mad fury. This is the picture that is being communicated. The devil is now having great wrath for he cannot accept his soon coming defeat and demise. Woe to the earth and the sea. The earth and the sea. This is a warning for all of humanity. All those who have chosen to make their abode in this world. As we know, the sea is code for the restless masses of humanity. And the earth, well, it's the earth. Thus, there will be no place to hide. There will be no safe. Consider some of the things that Jesus said in Luke 21, 10 through 11. Nation will be caused to rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will choose to be great earthquakes. And in various places, plagues and famines, and there will choose to be terrors and great signs from heaven. Luke 21, 25 through 26. There will choose to be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, dismay among nations and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men now fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are now coming upon the inhabited earth. For the powers of heaven will be caused to be shaken. Mark 13, 19, for those days will choose to be a time of tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning of the creation, which God created until now and never will choose to be the tool of self-destruction. With this massive woe, it is interesting that the spirit did not choose to refer to the dragon, a big, mighty, terrifying beast that is intent on destruction. After all, this warning sounds like a dragon type of thing. Instead, the spirit chose to refer to the devil, the accuser, the slanderer. In the next few verses, the spirit will use both the imagery of the dragon and the serpent, but in terms of the earth and the seas, he chose the character and traits associated with the devil. As we learned, the word devil literally means slanderer, which is why he is also referred to as the accuser of the brethren. The devil is all about slander. With him, there is no limit. Day and night, the devil slanders us to God. He slanders God to us. He slanders us to others, others to others, and he slanders us to ourselves. So at this time, when the devil and his angels are thrown down to the earth, he will be slinging slander and accusations around like it was pollen in spring. There is one thing to be intimidated and threatened by a big, mighty beast like a dragon. And it is an entirely different thing to be surreptitiously caused to self-destruct through division resulting from accusation. But that is the way of the devil. This woe is a firm warning that because of the devil's great wrath expressed through accusation and slander, everyone will turn on everyone. It will be hard to find anyone you feel you can trust. Friends, family, neighbors, workmates, formerly trusted institutions, leaders, pastors, elders, and so on will be laid waste by slanderous accusations. 
harmful words that will stick like glue. The division and relational chaos are likely to be unparalleled. The Spirit and Jesus describe the relational disaster as follows in Micah 7, 4 through 6. But your judgment day is coming swiftly now. Your time of punishment is here, a time of confusion. Don't trust anyone, not your best friend or even your wife, for the son despises his father. The daughter defies her mother. The daughter-in-law defies her mother-in-law. Your enemies are right in your own household. Luke 12, 49 through 53. I have come to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I now have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is caused to be accomplished. Do you suppose that I chose to come to grant peace on earth? I now tell you, no, but rather division. For from now on, there will choose to be five members in one household that will have cause to be dividing, three against two and two against three. They will cause to be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Matthew 24, 9 through 11. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will choose to now be caused to being hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will be caused to fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Mark 13, 12, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child and children will choose to rise up against parents and have them put to death. With this level of personal and relational fallout, it's no wonder that this is the third woe. Nothing will be sacred. And except for those who are now following the lamb wherever he goes, no relationship will be secure. Everyone will be slandered. It will be a time of great confusion and it will be brutal. Great wrath. A quick note on the great wrath of the devil versus the great wrath of God. Both the devil and God are described as having great wrath, but it is not always the same Greek word. For some unknown reason, the translators chose to use the same English word to describe two entirely different Greek words. Now, clearly, based on the effect of the slander and accusation, the great wrath of the devil is not to be trifled with, but even more so, the wrath of God. In the Greek, the word thumos, literally hot, passionate breath, is used to define the devil's fury. It's a form of rage. You can Picture this person who's all hot and bothered, red-faced, and filled with anger. That pretty much captures the idea of thumos. When the Spirit addresses what is translated as the wrath of God, there are times he uses thumos, and other times he uses ogre, which is a step even further into an intensified rage. It might be called fierce rage or furious indignation, or as it's stated in Isaiah, cruel with fury and burning anger. Ogre is like Thumos, but amplified to another level of anger. Ogre and Thumos. When God judges apostate religion, symbolized by Babylon the Great and the woman who rides the beast, he expresses Ogre, fierce, intensified rage. Yahweh unequivocally hates, loathes, and despises apostate religion. His disgust is due to the personal affront stemming from apostate religion. After the sixth seal was opened, 
the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they now say to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who now chooses to be sitting on the throne and from the wrath, the ogre or fierce rage of the lamb for the great day of their wrath. Again, fierce rage or ogre has come and who is now able to be caused to stand. When the seventh trumpet was blown and God revoked the tenancy over the earth that had been given to the devil and his angels, and he took back his power and began to reign, we are told that the nations were enraged, a form of the word ogre. And as Yahweh's fierce rage, ogre, came. At his second coming, Jesus will strike down the nations and he treads the winepress of the thumos, ogre, or the raging, fierce indignation of God, the Almighty. This will be a time of passionate, hot, violent, and extreme rage and indignation as Jesus brings about his reckoning and judges the nations. In contrast, when the Spirit speaks about the seven bowls filled with the wrath of God, the Spirit uses thumos as God's rage is poured out upon the earth. In like manner, all those who follow the beast will drink of the wine of the rage, thumos, of God. It seems like in his rage, Jesus also expresses some level of compassion, for he does not pour out ogre during the great tribulation, but only thumos. Oddly, the codex reveals that the nations can muster up a form of ogre, and clearly Yahweh can, but for the most part, it seems the devil cannot muster ogre, but only thumos. The devil has mega or great thumos. His rage will never match the intensified rage of people or of God. It must be something connected to the fact that mankind was made in the image of God and the angels were not. There is, however, one time when a form of ogre is used in connection with the image of the dragon, and that is in Revelation 12, 17, when it says that the dragon was caused to be enraged or, or gizo and declared war against the remnant of the children of Israel, against the two witnesses. Clearly, the dragon hates, loathes, and despises the bondservants of God. The devil's reaction, Revelation 12, 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been caused to be thrown to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male. When the devil is unleashed upon the earth and the sea, upon the restless masses of humanity, he reacts in great fury. The first thing he does is go after Israel, and he persecutes the woman, the nation that brought forth the male child, the Messiah. The implications of this prophecy are staggering, mind-blowing, and nothing short of miraculous. First, a miracle. Consider that the Romans deposed the ruling dynasty of Israel in 140 BCE and subjugated the nation to its will. The Roman Senate declared Herod the great king of the Jews in 40 BC, indicating that Israel had indeed lost all sense of self-rule as a nation. Rome chose its leaders. From that point forward, Israel was an appendage of the Roman Empire with only vestiges of a nation. For 140 years before Christ, Israel was under the governance of Rome, which makes it so ridiculously ironic that certain Israelites once scoffed at Jesus who told them that the truth will set them free. They answered and said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. 
How is it that you say you will become free? Subsequently, in 6 AD, Judea proper, Samaria, and Idumea, which was the very southeastern part of Israel, became a Roman province. And then in 70 AD, the Romans completely obliterated any remnant of Israel's national identity, destroyed Jerusalem, and wiped the temple off the face of the earth. And with it, any remnant of Israel's political and spiritual life. When John received this vision, he must have been so confused. How could the dragon persecute the woman, the nation who gave birth to the male, to the Messiah, if there was no woman, if there was no nation, and there was no chance of her return? She had been devastated and scattered. And like all the nations that had once occupied the land and were destroyed before Israel, the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, it seemed that the nation of Israel would be relegated to a historical footnote in ancient manuscripts. Then, over 2,000 years later, and in one day, just as Yahweh prophesied, the woman reappeared. She came out of the wilderness. The nation of Israel was reborn. On May 14, 1948, the provisional government of Israel proclaimed a new state of Israel. On that same day, Israel was recognized by the United States as the de facto authority of the Jewish state. Then on May 11, 1949, Israel was recognized by the United Nations and was admitted as a full member. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? But by the time Zion's birth pains begin, her children will be born. Would I ever bring this nation to a point of birth and then not deliver it? Asked Yahweh. No, I would never keep this nation from being born, says your God. As we have said over and over again, though it often may seem illusory or impossible, Everything God says comes true with a vengeance, and every promise he makes will be fulfilled. It is all just a matter of time. The existence of the nation Israel today is nothing short of a miracle, and the miracle is even greater when you consider that no other people group in all of history has ever survived through captivity, beginning with Babylon in 597 BCE, and a scattering and Assimilation across five world empires, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome, all the way up to and through the modern days, endured the Inquisition at the hands of so-called Christians and attempts by many all around the world to destroy them completely. And somehow they survived and have kept their own nationalistic identity. Yes, for the last 75 years, we have had the privilege of witnessing one of the greatest miracles of all time, and not just the Jew, but in the reemergence of the woman, the nation of Israel, from the wilderness. Then persecution. He, the dragon, persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male. After being thrown down to the earth, the dragon will turn his attention to the nation of Israel. He will marshal his warriors and attack the woman. It is interesting, however, that in terms of the code, Persecuted is not rendered in the future tense, something he will do then, but it is rendered in the aorist active indicative, a form of the past tense. The spirit seems to be communicating that the woman, the Jew, and the nation of Israel 
have always been a central target for persecution. This is nothing new. The dragon's animosity for the woman is evident in all the ways the Jew has been persecuted throughout time and practically every nation in which they were scattered. It is also evident in the various wars and terrorism the nation has experienced in the past 75 years from their neighboring states. Again, this is nothing new. Yet at the same time, when the devil is cast down to the earth, he maniacally focuses his efforts on the woman, and she will experience extreme persecution, so much so that she will be caused to flee from her land. The rest of the story. As we read passages like this, we must remember that there is an unseen reality that holds the rest of the story. A view of things that is often easy to forget. We are told that the dragon persecuted the woman. We can look through history and see that this is true. We can see that all this is happening in our world today and know that it is true. And we can look forward and prognosticate about what will obviously continue in that regard. But in reality, the dragon is only acting as an agent of Yahweh Saba Oath, who is using the dragon to judge his people. In the behind-the-scenes reality, all these things go exactly as Yahweh Adonai has determined, as the first and the last is declared. Whether he is acting as the devil, the dragon, the Satan, the serpent, the adversary, the shining one, he is just a tool in the hands of Yahweh Saba Oath, the Lord of Heaven's armies. Just a tool to accomplish the plans determined by Yahweh Adonai, plans which he has declared and communicated throughout the Codex. Plan A. In that regard, we must never forget that this entire narrative is about the unveiling of Jesus Christ, Yahweh, and how he works according to the plans of his Father, Yahweh, for he lives to do the Father's will. In that regard, the tools he chooses to use are somewhat inconsequential. After all, is the axe to boast itself over the one who chops with it? Is the saw to exalt itself over the one who wields it? That would be like a club wielding those who lift it, or like a rod lifting him who is not wood. And what has Yahweh declared? The persecution of the woman is going to involve a lot of death and mayhem. For the devil has great wrath, and it will be expressed. When it is all said and done, two-thirds of the people in Israel will be cut off and perish. The people will be plundered, raped, taken captive, and killed in the fury unleashed by the dragon. Even half of the city will be exiled. The persecution of the dragon against the woman will be devastating. For the purpose of rescue, salvation. By the way, even though the persecution will be beyond terrible, Yahweh Adonai has also declared that one-third of the populace will be protected and saved. He will bring that group through the refining fire and make them pure. And he will call them to himself. In turn, they will call on his name. And he will call them his people. Hence, we get that famous line, everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved through the fire for everyone will be salted with the fires of refining persecution. The woman flees. Revelation 12, 14. And two wings of the great eagle were caused to be given to the woman so that she might now choose to fly into the wilderness to her place where she is now caused to be nourished, fattened, for a time and times and half a time from the presence, literally from the face of the serpent. 
The imagery switches from the dragon to a serpent, hence the devil will rely heavily on his lies, manipulation, deception, and seduction, etc. What this indicates is that the devil will likely amplify the anti-Semitic propaganda that he has been touting for centuries and deceive, seduce, and manipulate the nations with lies, leading them to persecute Israel. The Great Eagle And two wings of the Great Eagle were caused to be given to the woman. This could possibly be a picture of one of Israel's most ardent allies and sworn defenders, the United States, whose national emblem and symbolic identity is the eagle. Even bin Laden is credited with saying that he wishes to die in the belly of the eagle, meaning he wanted to die in a terrorist act on American soil. The eagle is globally recognized as the symbol of the United States of America. As a nation, the United States has sworn to protect Israel's security and to promote its future. This should not be surprising since the United States has more Jewish residents than any other country in the world, even more than in Israel. In fact, with over 12 million Jews, the United States possesses about twice that of Israel and 16 times more Jews than the next nation, which is France. Thus, when the beast and his accomplices from the nation start to prosecute the woman, perhaps the United States follows through with its commitment to protect Israel and gives the woman safe passage out of danger. This is just speculation and not a sure thing. With that said, it's not uncommon for the Codex to view nations through their national symbol or through some symbol that portrays the character and nature of the nation. For example, when Daniel sees a vision of a ram and a goat, he is told that the ram is a picture of the Medo-Persian kingdom and that the goat is a picture of the kingdom of Greece. There's no confusion as to the meaning of these images, since he is specifically told that the male goat, for example, represents the kingdom of the Greek empire. By the way, understanding national imagery will be critical to our understanding the kingdom of the beast. The point is that using animals, known symbols, or pictures is a common way for the codex to depict nations. We might also simply understand this passage in the way that God described his deliverance of the children of Israel from the Egyptians. He said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. When God delivered Israel from the iron grasp of Pharaoh, he needed no help from anyone. No other nations were called in to fight on behalf of Israel. Yahweh did the work. He both guarded and guided the Israelites to safety. But the language in our passage is not nearly so poetic or metaphorical. In the Exodus, God likened their escape to being carried on eagle's wings, even though the Exodus narrative never mentions eagle wings. But here, utilizing the definitive article, the Spirit says that the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness. In language, The use of the definitive article indicates that the identity of the noun is known by the reader. In this instance, the two wings and the great eagle is known. Therefore, this reference is identifying something specific. As such, this might possibly be a reference to a specific nation, just like we saw with the ram and the goat. The two wings and two wings of the great eagle were caused to be given to this woman. This is an odd phrase, even for poetic language, unless the point is about the two wings versus just 
the wings of the eagle, which obviously has two of them, or the eagle itself. The spirit, who is very precise, seems to be driving a point home about the two wings. Perhaps he's indicating that Israel will have the support of both the political will and the military will of the great eagle. Since her inception in 1948, the woman has needed both, and the United States has continually provided her with both. Moreover, she will need both the political will and the military will of another to escape the dragon's persecution. Political wing. Without the political support for Israel, the woman is left to herself and vulnerable. For the better part of the past 70 years, the United States has been the primary nation that has supported the return of her people to the land and to the nation's right to the land. This great eagle has kept her safe and has provided a political net, so to speak, around her so that those hostile to her cannot take advantage of her and those who are lukewarm in their affections for the nation won't abandon her in her times of trouble. For instance, the United Nations hostility to this woman is well known, but the United States has to date kept even their hatred at bay. Military wing. Israel has received more military assistance, both in terms of grant and military sales, from the United States than from any other country. They are equipped with American transportation aircraft, both planes and helicopters, as well as land vehicles that could be utilized if a very quick escape were necessary. And it will be. Speed will be the key to their survival. And perhaps this is the reason so that she might now choose to fly into the wilderness is rendered in the present middle subjunctive. The spirit indicates through the code that even now she can make the choice. If she wants to fly to safety, she has the military means provided by the great eagle to practically stage an escape to safety. The woman using the two wings of the great eagle to escape communicates that the great eagle will enable her escape. The image here is important to the message. The eagle is strong in flight and very swift. Thus, this picture communicates that her escape will be swift and the wings which carry her will be strong enough to ensure her escape with all alacrity and dispatch. Let's stop here and we'll pick up on our next podcast with the woman who flies. I am glad you turned in and have been ready to listen. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in. <laughs>